and welcome to episode 138 of Talking with Painters, where Australian painters talk about their lives and art. I'm Maria Stolger, coming to you from Gadigal Land, and I'm excited to bring you in a moment my conversation with Anthony White, who I spoke with late last year. But first of all, it's great to be back in your ears in 2023. I have to say that I'm happy to be re-energised after a trip to LA and New York where I took in some fabulous art. And if you follow the show on Instagram or Facebook, you might have seen a 20-second video of some highlights. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Probably my favourite exhibition was the show of Edward Hopper at the Whitney Museum of American Art in New York. Um, It was just fabulous. It was packed but it included some great figure paintings and also that famous self-portrait, which I've never seen before in real life, so that was pretty amazing. And since we're talking about art outside of Australia, it brings me to my guest today, Anthony White, because Anthony's an Australian who's been living in France for over a decade. He was awarded a residency at the Cité Internationale des Arts in Paris in 2009, And he met his partner there and ended up moving to Paris. And so I caught up with him online. He works in painting, drawing, collage and printmaking, mostly in abstraction using bold gestural marks. But what's interesting is that underpinning that work is a lot of time spent reading, writing and researching because his work primarily relates to ideas. And it's all driven by his interest in literature, current affairs and historical events. He has exhibited in many solo shows and had his first museum show last year at the Mark Rothko Art Centre in Latvia called Mobilising Material. He also returned to Australia last year for a creative fellowship at the National Library where he was researching Sidney Nolan's commission mural of the Eureka Stockade. And I've put a link in the show notes to a presentation he gave in relation to that residency. He's been awarded the Martin Bequest Travelling Scholarship and many other residencies. He's represented by galleries in Europe and Australia and his work is held in many public and private collections. Anthony grew up on the south coast of New South Wales near Jervis Bay and I started this interview by asking him if he could share memories of art from his childhood. I was very, very introverted when I was a kid. I I was sort of like so... Oh, I distinctly remember like seeing Geoffrey Smart exhibition. I think that was... Actually, that would have been in Canberra actually. And just being struck by the mood of the works, you know, and the the loneliness. I was like, wow. I was just very touched by that when I was a kid. I was like, going, wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and then seeing like James Gleason exhibitions, uh, uh, works of James Gleason. I can't remember where that was. But, yeah, again, like being touched by that sort of ambience in the painting, which I hadn't seen before. So what did you do much art as a kid? Did you do it at school, in high school? Uh, I did do art at high school, yeah. I did art even before I was in high school. I did art when I was a little kid at home, just like making paintings and stuff. And then, I, you know, like lots of people stopped that. And then I I picked art when I was at high school because I was still pretty introverted. Um, I was, it was sort of like the thing that I um, – sort of took refuge in doing really basically yeah making art and um and then i sort of like stopped it uh because i became a chef oh right Uh, um when i when i first started doing my apprenticeship i stopped it for a little while and then i started doing both i was studying in the daytime 
cooking in the night time. And then on the weekends and days off, I was making art as well. Yeah, so it was pretty busy. And what was it like being a chef? Oh, yeah, fantastic. I mean, there was no, for me, um, I didn't really see any difference between, you know, compositionally, you know, and there's lots of things that are really, um, really similar, you know, composition and structure and colour and everything like that. So I, 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 I was happy cooking and I did it for a long time. Well, that's what I find really interesting about your um, trajectory is that you were painting quite a bit before you even went to art school. I was, yeah. I met well. I met um, I met quite a few artists before I went to art school. I met I mean I met Arthur Boyd when I was down on the south coast. I mean I didn't have any relationship with him. I just sort of like met him. Wow, what was that like? What, yeah, what it was happened? great. What, did he say anything that you can remember? Uh, he did actually. He yeah. He said, "Painting keeps you humble." And I had no idea what he was talking about. I was like, "Yeah, man, what what was he what was he talking about?" And then, you know, as you get older, you go, "Oh, yeah, I know what he was talking about. It keeps you humble, that's for sure, hey." Because it's never it's never easy if you if you're like if you're like, "Oh, great, well that was easy. Just knock that one off." <laughs> you come back and you look at it and you go, "Oh my god, what's going on there? I should just burn that one." I think it's well. I think that's when you're a very when you're a good artist. You're self critical. Yeah, you need a bit of a balance between those as well, right? Because you need to sort of like, I don't think, you know, I I do hear some artists and they say that they destroy lots and lots and lots of work. But you know what? I think that, I think that, uh, I think that there's a difference between releasing it on the market and destroying it. I mean, if you destroy it, then you can never, you can no longer have that conversation with your old bodies of work, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you can take a photograph and a photograph is good. But often when you're younger, you can take pretty dodgy photographs. But but nowadays, like, you know, digital reproduction is much better, so everything's great, right? But, yeah. but that conversation between what you've done in the past and what you're doing now and where you're going in the future I think is really important. And documentation of that is important. So, I mean, I think it's a bit of a shame because if you destroy it, then it's gone. Mm. Yeah, right. So you think even holding on to the stuff that you're not proud of. Yeah, but I guess I guess like before you die you could like have a to kill list. Uh, yeah, we've got to kill that painting, we've got to get rid of that one. I guess. <laughs> because I guess artists I guess artists are a bit paranoid about like all these really dodgy works coming back and haunting them after they're gone, right? I don't know. I know. I think I agree with you. I think it's important to see where you've come from. But so you were saying that, mm. yeah. So Arthur Boyd was an influence. It was a, you were saying there were other people. There wasn't anyone else that was a an encouragement for you to go to art school. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. No, I met Ada Tomescu at um, what was that? That was would have been at Annandale Galleries in the nineties. And she was very encouraging, and I met her a lot, lots. You know, I, I was sort of like this sort of guy that, you know, like when tapes would come out and you would read all the credit on the back of the tapes so you would see who did what. Well, I was yeah. I was sort of one of those guys, right? I was really into painting, so I would rock up to a lot of exhibitions. Hey? And, yeah, just the conversation with Aida was very fertile. And she really knew what she was talking about. And she still, I mean, she still does. So, so. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's amazing. So in what way did she encourage you? Did she talk about your work? I mean, was, was uh, were you actually painting at that point? 
Yeah, I didn't show them. I didn't show them my work at that time. That was I was you know like I was probably what in my twenties. Um, but she was talking about oh just things in general that really resonated. That's why it's important to have conversations with people and conversations about art because you know things resonate, and it can be all around. I mean, that's how you build relationships and how you further things is that you know you're in the on the same page as people. You know, sometimes you have conversations with people and you have no idea where they're coming from, right? You talk about things and then it's something that just clicks. So those, it's important to pursue those things where they feel good and where you feel a mutual connection, you know. Yeah, life's short. There's only so much time. Yeah, totally. And so tell me about, so you went to National Arts School. Was there a lot of drawing? I've heard there's a lot of drawing involved. Did you have oh, to Oh, yeah. N- NASA is famous for its drawing. I think that, you know, like the way that art schools are, um, you know, like these days, it makes me sound old saying that, but like, you know, <laughs> if you do something and you learn something from it, then it's going to do you good, hey? Like, so drawing is, drawing is fundamental. I, I, I make analogies like, from what I've known in the kitchen, you know, like you sort of like learn to chop, you learn timing, you learn things in your body. And actually when you learn it in your body, then you can transfer it to the canvas, to the to the paper, to the to whatever support that you're doing with a facility that you don't have if you're not drawing. And it doesn't if you don't learn that. And I think later on, I don't know, well, it's sort of dependent upon your practice whether you're drawing more or not. But I think you remember those things when you went to art school because it's a fertile place of experimentation. And yeah. and actually that is important in the kitchen too, right? Because you're actually it's about experimentation when you're first putting menus on and things like that. And it's very um, creative and mm. it's very... Um, pleasing you know it's a really yeah, good place sure. because you use a lot of different mediums in your work like you know oils acrylics vinyl paint um uh, collage is that to help with experimentation or yeah i just get excited and i'm like yes let's do this i think this would be really great and so i make some work in this sort of way with some sort of new paint and i'll make new things and then I'll put it aside, then I'll continue something else. But I've always been like that. I'll sort of start something, then I'll come back to it. And I guess that it's just the way that I work, okay? Yeah, I'm the strong believer that if you have the impulse to do something and it's and it's just sort of uh, an impulsive thing, like, oh, I just I feel like using, you know, collage today or whatever, You've got to go with that because that that yeah. impulse and that enthusiasm is is really precious. It is actually, and that reminds me of something that you know, I've just recently, you know, because I actually I renovated this studio, and I really feel like that desire and that enthusiasm, right? It's something I don't want to get too mystical, hey, but like it's something that you carry within you, and that energy. That sort of desire, that strong burning energy is something that makes a really strong difference in a work. So I was renovating the studio and the guy that was doing it was like taking quite a bit of time and I was like saying, you know, 
we need to hurry up because I've got this painting to finish for the Glover Prize. And I could really feel the urgency of this painting. And I hadn't really, like, sometimes you sort of ignore those sorts of, like, things that come back. You know, you have this feeling and it comes back. You go, yeah, 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 it can wait, right? Yeah. But I said, you know, like, we've got to get this done. So we got it done. And I made this painting and I didn't think about it too much. I just, it come out really quickly. It wasn't easy. I come back to it and come back to it. But... You know, sometimes you can procrastinate a lot, and then, but when you have that urgency, then you you cut the procrastination because you feel the urgency of it, and so you go and you work really strongly, and it was really something else. So I think listening to that urgency or listening to that desire that comes is really important. Hey, you can dismiss it as as something that's not that important, but it's actually in a creative practice, I think it's paramount. It reminds me of something that Sidney Nolan said, and he said that because I read a quote when I was just in the library doing this creative fellowship, and he said that, he said that I spend a lot of time thinking and looking, and then I'll paint everything um, really quickly, like in a short period of time. And I thought that was just like a throwaway comment. I thought he was just saying, oh, yeah, yeah, you know. But I think... I can understand where he's coming from there. I think that he Mm. waits because there has to be that strong urge, that strong urge, because you can see that his works are made in a very quick manner. You know, when you're a painter, you can see that. You can see the way he's constructed them, wet on Mm. wet and, you know, brushes and rags and everything. Yeah. And you go, okay, so there's that burning desire. There's that, it sounds like a bit of a cliche, hey, but, you know, You've either got it or you don't, right? It's either one one day it's there, but there's things that you can do as well that it comes, right? You know, like this strong desire and bang, there it is and you go for it. I mean, different different artists are different, I guess. You know, they have different practices, but I can only speak of my own. Yeah, well, sometimes it involves also um, mm. uh, interrupting a plan. Do you know what I mean? You've got to abandon something. To go in that direction. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. So we're talk I'm talking to you now from Australia and you're in France at the moment. That's right. So yeah. tell me what was the catalyst to make you um, move to France? What was the catalyst? Uh, well, I won a residency at La Cité International des Arts, like lots of Australian artists, but um, I came over here and then a couple of months into it, I met my partner, and then she said to me, "Oh, why don't you stay and spend some time in France?" And so I did, and then I basically moved here. Yeah, so that was that was pretty amazing. I never really, I, I really wanted to go to France because I was in, interested in a lot of French painters, but I, I never really thought that I was going to be living in France. So that was a that was a really something amazing. Yeah. And what was the Cité like? Cité was great. But, you know, it was it was sort of, um, oh, well, you know, I, I guess as a younger artist, you can have expectations in a way that you sort of think that, I don't know, there's going to be some sort of like welcoming committee, but it's a bit not like that. It's a bit like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Here's like, your you're room. Be, Here's your room. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. You've got 12 forks, 12 knives and 12 spoons. <laughs> and that's about it, right? <laughs> yeah, and there you go. 
and then and then I made some friends, m- met some other artists, and yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then everything was good after that. But yeah, no, you just do it. You know, you go. You don't really think about those things too much. You just go and do it, as you have to, right? You have to launch out into these things and go for it. Yeah, exactly. And I suppose you can go through periods where it's not exactly what you envisaged, but. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, that's for sure. it takes yeah. you in a different direction. Actually, talking about going in a different direction, um, mm-hmm. I, I've read that, you know, that those horrific, you know, Paris attacks that happened in 2015 had a huge impact on you. Can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah, I, well, you know, <clears throat> at the time it was very close to where we were living. Like, l- literally, like, you know, like, on the like you walk your your kid to school and like one of the routes where that was is where these guys you know escaped in the getaway vehicle on that road and they were meeting about you know 500 meters away from where we were living in the Boutchemont at that time did you hear it did you hear anything uh, yeah and we heard you know we heard sirens all night and then like woke up in the morning going what the hell's going on you know because we could hear sirens like all night and then we were getting updates on twitter and updates and then the news reports started coming through that you know there was a shooting there were multiple shootings uh and yeah no but the thing <clears throat> the reason why i mentioned it is because I, I i i just it sort of had this profound effect on me about you know like what what is it that painting can do or what can you say with painting you know or a visual arts practice and then i just really started thinking about social repercussions and social um element of what painting can be about and and not just about you know progressing somebody being like some famous painter but actually talking about the dialogue that's going on in culture mm. because you know it was such a shocking it was such a shocking thing it was such a shocking thing it just made me made me reflect about uh well one it made me think from a Western point of view, I thought to myself, you know, like, what have we, are, are these people like insanely sick in the brain? Like, what has society done to merit this sort of thing? Like, what has Western mm. society done? And then it makes you start asking questions about um, culture and civilization, right? You start saying, well, What's my history? What's our history? Why are people radicalized? Why are they feel so um, displaced, estranged? And you know, it, it just makes you ask a lot of questions about things. Hey? Yeah. So before that, was your art not really directed towards um, sort of a political bent? No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. It made me start thinking about those things a lot, lot more. I was starting to to write about it in 2010. 2010, I did a residency in Leipzig, and I was actually um, shocked because I started seeing, you know, Leipzig's lower Saxony region of Germany, and there was, like, a lot of, like, um, you know, neo-Nazi groups there and, like, number plates and bumper stickers and 
And I thought, like, you know, coming from Australia, because you're sort of like in a bit of a bubble, mm. you know, and you think, oh, yeah, Nazis are, it's like World War Two, right? But no, I oh, know, that, that's all all out there. And so I was looking at that, and then I started documenting that and getting paper articles and reading about it and doing a bit of research because it was wintertime there. Were you sort of researching that as, as from a political point of view? Well, yeah, no, I was just, well, I wasn't trying to be political. I was just reading newspapers and, you know, like things touch you. You can't stop the way things touch you. Everybody's different, hey? You can't you can't stop the way things touch you. You know, that's the thing about conversations, right? When you have conversations with people and they, they rub you up the right way, then that's where you're supposed to be. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you go, right, yeah, that's cool. We've got to stay in touch with that person. But just reading things out of papers and reading language and realising the importance of language and realising how powerful language is, the context of what you create through language, the context of what you create uh, through your written words is really powerful. So reading that in the newspapers. And then I started writing. I actually didn't do as much painting there while I was there that I wanted to do, but I I was writing quite a lot. And I think that was quite important. And I still got all those. I sort of like kept this visual diary, like not of sketches, but more of writing and cutting articles and responding to different events around that time yeah that's so interesting because i mean that i mean there obviously is that you're interested in research as well because i mean you did recently did the um creative fellowship at the national library of australia which involved a lot of research into sydney nolan is that something that you it think is important to go hand in hand with your visual art yeah, totally. Yeah. You know, like what well, comes down to that effect of what I was saying about that desire, right? And the more that you read, well, for me, it's not the same for everybody, right? But, you know, the more that you read and the more that you document your thoughts and your themes in your practice, that strong desire comes back again, like because it evaporates after a certain amount of time, hey? It goes away. It's just the nature of things, right? And then you're reading and you go, yeah, you know, because you think that you did something original, right? But you didn't. Somebody else did it. And then you read that text or you have that conversation with somebody living, but you read that text that's written down somewhere and then you're, oh, yeah, great. So you're writing this down and you collect, for me, I'm collecting resources. And that's where the magic happens for me. It's like you're gathering these different references that lead to the desire or the inclination to make visual um paintings about mm. different things right that that's that's where i get encouragement from or, or you know the the desire to continue making work well i noticed you know like uh, writers also have have inspired you like kafka for example or whatever yeah yeah so getting that inspiration from from what is around you through literature and newspapers and things like that how does that then translate to the canvas for you it's it's usually an abstract work so I think for most people that is quite hard to understand how you know an idea can be translated you know and it's hard for you to explain it too (laughs) yeah that's right because you know you can come you know you can come with like references like from Joseph Albers that says you know colors relative political and um lots of Lots of references like that. But, you know, the thing is that there has to be a short distance between the subject matter. Like, for example, 
if political art is political art, then it has to be something very tangible, like maybe a collage of 1968 protest signs or, you know, an actual physical event for it to be political or, you know, something something where the subject matter is very close to the intention. But for me, for me, what I've been looking at is actually the gesture as a political act, reclaiming a radicality of the gesture of painting, gestural painting. So, and you know, like it's pretty old school in that sense. But, you know, what I was talking about in 2016 when I was um, doing a painting, uh, an exhibition, I mean, called Crossing the Rubicon and looking at Japanese movement, Gutai, is the fact that they were using their, their body as a protest. They were using their body to make radical paintings. You know, the paintings are full of energy and it's coming from a place... It's actually coming from a place of defeat. It's coming from a place of defeat. It's like there's nothing left. You know, America, our like culture, bombed them, raised them to the ground, and then out of that there springs this movement of and, and performance and rich culture. And yeah. and you go, Wow, that's really strong. That's really like incredible after the Second World War. And asking yourself questions like that puts you in a place of like, wow, what have we done? I mean, also, you know, there's a reason that that happened, but, you know, it makes you ask a question, wow, what have we done? The same as like reading history, like reading Kafka and reading like a text that sort of says, okay, it's a penal colony, it's set on an island, it's hot, there's these stereotypical characters in the in the text that Kafka writes, it made me think of Australia, and then it makes me think about ah, oh, what have we done as Australians? We just took the place, right? We made a fiction, we told a lie, we come and stole the place. I mean, that's not a fantasy, right? That's reality, and so painting moves from fantasy to reality in the same way. You read text. What what did what did the British do? We we made up a fiction and we said, oh yeah, oh yeah, no, this is ours. That's actually what happened. There's no stretch of the imagination there at all, mm. you know. So, the more you give time to building concepts and writing and working literature and working out what it is that you have to say, the stronger it becomes. The more room it has to grow, and it's so fantastically beautiful, eh? You just have to laugh in the studio and get to work, right? It's a great thing. I think you said at some point that you like to see it as a call to action. Um, Actually, I think you were saying that in respect to your Glover Prize painting, which was more representational, which was interesting. Um, No, I mean, I felt both with both paintings that I had in Glover Prize, the 2018 one and the 2021, I felt both. Oh, you know what? You can't you can't feel responsibility for how people take things, how things are going to be received. If you do, you're never going to get anything done, hey. You know, like at the end of it, you just have to say like, no, screw that. Yeah. Yeah, it, you know. What do you mean in what sense? What do you mean? Like like you just you don't you can't be responsible for the way critics are going to take it or naysayers, right? 
Because it's always naysayers, always people that are going to say, what does he think he's doing, you know? You have to just go for it, hey? And that's why that writing, for me, is important because it puts me in this really strong frame of mind that, and you have to guard that, hey, in the studio because, you know, you have to, like, put yourself into a position where that's what matters and that is the possibility to make the strongest work that you can. You have to find out all the little secret recipes that make that work. And whatever it is, hey, you have to write it down, you have to document it, and you have to position yourself back into that place so that you really attack the work in a way. You know, And when I say attack, I mean it could be like you could be painting away with your hand in front of the work for hours on end, right? Everything is different. That's the beauty about art, hey? So, but you have to guard that place. And out of that place, all those things come, you know, all the the, the possibilities for making the strongest work, hey? Whether it means getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning, whether it means going to bed at 3 o'clock in the morning, whether it means, like, cancelling all your appointments, whatever that is, you have to do that for a certain time, right? I suppose because you've got a clear... Uh, aim and so then you you're sort of on strong ground that's right yeah and you have to hold that you've got to hold it because there's momentum to be gained there's momentum see like and you know people and you know like you have to explain it to people around you you know like friends or whatever that aren't creative people that you know like you have to hold that place because the momentum takes you somewhere else it's a bit like teamwork. Hey? You get more done when you're working with a team, right? You can do a whole lot more work, but it takes a little bit more time before everybody to be comfortable where you get into the, into the direction. But when you're in the studio, you're by yourself and that momentum really carries you somewhere else. But it takes time to get to that place. And if you get interrupted a lot, then you go backwards a little bit. So you have to, you have to keep, the, you have to guard that place as well, right? You have to, you have to, keep going forward yeah right and also when you know i touched on previously that um you know your your finalist paintings in the glover prize were quite representational uh well the 2021 one was like a mountaintop and yeah uh i mean it's interesting talking to abstract artists because often often they say i'm not an abstract artist that actually i haven't quite a totally let go of figuration do you feel that with your abstract work there is an element of figuration in there oh, oh yeah i mean it's just a matter of how much you push it hey that's the that's the uh, how how pedantic you get in finishing things off and yeah totally like in terms of going all the way yeah i mean things come from somewhere you know like turning ribbons of paint can easily morph into drapery or they can easily morph into rivers or they can easily morph into trees, right? This is what gestural painting is about, right? Gestural painting is capturing the essence of something, right? I don't want the essence to relate to a tree. I want the essence to relate to ideas. That's why I try and pair it back. But that particular work from the Glover Prize, I was really motivated about climate change in some things that I had read so I had painted that painting and I painted it fairly fast and it came out in that way and 
it was an exploration in a particular palette and yeah so yeah. i left it in that particular way i could have just made it more you know i could have made it more sort of more abstract and you know like when you look at previous versions of it like because i photographed them all like um they're sort of like you know much 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 more abstract but then you sort of like give things more form and it and then you're happy with the way it sits so you'll leave it like that yeah so yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I don't have a problem with that hey i i think yeah everything comes from somewhere well, i suppose also from the point of view of you know sending a message it's going to get a message if it is about climate change you're probably going to get that message across a little bit quicker if it is more representational yeah, in a way that's right yeah and and the thing is that it is a landscape painting process <laughs> so i mean there is it is an expanded thing these days right you can make some expanded expanded sort of works because yeah. like if you look at the 2018 work it's very abstract right yeah. um but it's just a matter of how you want to interpret it. Mm. And you know what I forgot to ask you earlier? Um, I wanted to ask you what artists that you were either influenced by or who you just like looking at, they don't necessarily have to be abstract artists or anything, but just who, when you think of artists that you really admire, you really like, which who would you be looking at? Oh, yeah, you know, there's so many because, you know, like you're talking about, you know, like a long period of time as well. And then, you know, you sort of change. Yeah. You sort of change. Yeah. Um, who did you look at yeah, in the know, early like, days? Like when you were at art school, who were you interested in, for example? Um, I was looking at Vicky Varvarezos and oh, Dick yeah. Watkins. Yeah. You know, energetic sort of painting, you know. Dick's a really great painter. Dick Watkins is a great painter. Um, yeah, and Tony McGillick and who else? Tony Tuxen, of course. And you know, like James Gleason, um, or Jeffrey Smart, you know, like because you know, influences come down to like what you identify with and then what you don't identify with, right? Because you only know what it is that you want by knowing. Sometimes people can't tell you what they want, but they can really tell you what they don't want. So, the same way with influences of artists i guess hey yeah that's interesting um yeah and then i really like this video artist in um from um thailand called korakrit arundachai i probably pronounced his name wrong but he's great as well and he's across across a couple of disciplines Uh, plus like anselm kiefer plus you know like pear kirkby you know plus many others yeah and what and and tell me do you have you ever um, been interested in portraiture or still life or anything, even in like an abstract sort of way? Or uh, yeah, I mean, it's hard not to be touched by Mirandi's works. Yeah, I love that. I love his work. Uh, yeah, portraiture. I love. I love portraiture too. But yeah, I mean, I have done a few portraits, not very many. But I don't feel if I feel particularly touched to do portraits, then I will do portraits. Hey, I'm not going to like do a big head right yeah yeah yeah. i'm not i'm not gonna like fall into line right i'm not falling into line i hate that right i hate it so you don't you don't like the idea of doing something that you think is going to be well received just for the sake of it because it's a it's fashionable or something 
No, you have to do it because you feel it. Uh, portraiture, I don't feel it at the moment, even though, like, you know, I love, for example, um, um, Soutine. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Soutine exhibition that I saw here in Paris. You know, love his portraits of, like, chefs, you know, and kitchen staff. Yeah. You know, these portraits, they're lumpy sort of portraits and, like, you know, exaggerated and stuff. Yeah, they're amazing. Oh, you know, you know, and and Van Gogh portraits, you know, inspired me when I was a kid. Hey, I was making, I, I was making, I was making drawings and stuff for magazines when I was a kid of like, you know, Rolling Stone covers for ages, for ages. You know, when I was a young kid, when I was ten and twelve. But yeah, no, that doesn't really doesn't really grab me at the moment. Hey, it's it's just well, you know, you never know what happens, what will happen. It's what mm. you're drawn to, you know, as an artist. Uh, tell exactly. me, you were just, exactly. you know, do you ever do you find that you go like, for example, do you go to the Louvre much or the Musée d'Orsay or anything like that when you go to totally. Paris? Totally. Yeah, where would, where would you yeah. go? What's your favourite oh, part in the Louvre? Ah, French painting up the top and Italian painting. But, yeah, French painting, you go to the Louvre, like, because, you know, here in France, you're paying your taxes, you have this you have this art car that gets you in, so you don't have to pay, you just walk in, right? So French painting at 9 o'clock in the morning, there's nobody. Oh, wow. Nobody. It opens at 10 a.m., so you're up there at, like, 10 a.m., and there's nobody. Everybody's down there trying to haggle in front of, like, Mona Lisa. <laughs> not, not even. I can't Not believe anything. it. I saw a photo the other day of like, you know, 100 people in front. It was just ridiculous. And there's other Da Vinci's in that main room that are amazing paintings, right? Yeah. I love the wi- I love and... the winged victory, you know, the sculpture. Yeah, it's oh yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. Incredible. It's amazing. Yeah, you could I could just imagine just going and spending half an hour. You could just pop in and out, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, I do all the time. Do you? In no. fact, it's Oh yeah, totally. It's not very far away at all. Yeah, no, that whole that whole like reserve is insane. It's insane. I can't tell you. Yeah. It's just you go there. It's like the National Gallery in London, hey. Eh? You turn up and there's just like just so much stuff to see. You go back there again and again and again and again and you see uh, the the thing is actually to go back to the same paintings because they speak to you at a different time. You see things at a different time. Even within the same painting, you'll see things differently again at a different time. They speak to you again and again and again. That's the point. And then if you draw them, if you sit down and draw them, you never forget the painting. You never forget the composition. You never forget the characters. I don't know about the title. I'm not really. (laughs) I read titles, (laughs) but I don't really remember the titles. But I go, oh, yeah, yeah, I know this painting. eh? I know this painting. I know it because I've been drawing it, right? The guy with the lute. Yeah, it's important. Yeah. Even if you're not making, even if you're not making like if abstract paintings, yeah, I mean, there's something to be gained by still just going there and just drawing something, right? Looking at the light, looking at the folds, looking at, at crucifixions, right? For example, there's a whole there's a whole section, you know, in the French painting of you know, a gothic and little miniature paintings of like a, a divine, amazing structured images, hey? Yeah. Amazingly structured images. And some just black and white. Like a there was a a like a crucifixion thing there and there's some nuns like around and, and the the black and white composition is 
you know, powerful. You, you sort of think to yourself, wow, what is it about this painting that makes it incredibly powerful? And you look at the composition and you're drawing things and you go, oh, yeah, right. So you're looking at the structure geometry through there and how things relate to one another. And it's something else altogether. There's something that you actually learn by actually trying to draw it and how mind-bogglingly complex it is. I mean, the thing is that when you're drawing a painting that's taken like many, many, many years to paint, you sort of like you go, oh, yeah, holy, this is like crazy, crazy the amount of work involved in this painting. And also trying to draw something really, really big and condense it into something small, it sort of makes you prioritise the way that you see something. That's another yeah, good exercise in doing that. You know? Well, you know what I yeah. find? I find drawing a drawing is actually really exciting because, you know, oh, yeah. you're, you're actually following the actual line yeah. that that artist made, you know. And also you can almost... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You feel it. You can feel if it was a fast or a slow line too, you know, or how heavily they, yes, they drew it and all that sort yes, of thing. Yes, you can. You can, yeah, definitely. Hey, that's what I wanted to ask you, actually, is I, I listen to your podcast and, you know, I, I'm going to ask you, are you making art? Are, did you start this podcast because you're an artist as well? Well, I, yes, I went to Julian Ashen Art School uh, and I love painting portrait. That's why I always slip in the portraiture question. Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh, but no, that's a, it's a very valid it is a very valid question, yeah, whether people are doing portraits or not. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So I'm always interested in what people are doing, you know, doing apart from what you see that they're doing, you know, because sometimes they're doing other things. Yeah. So I started the podcast because I was in the studio painting and was listening to radio, but I wanted to listen to something art-related, and that's how I sort of stumbled on it. Okay. Yeah, so I'm more interested in video and audio now, so sort of taking a, a different tangent, you know. Yeah, okay, that's cool. I just thought I'd ask. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Tell me a bit about um, your routine because I love hearing about artists and how they work in a studio. <laughs> Do you find that you're pretty you're pretty disciplined? Well, it depends on you know, depends on how much I've been at home. You know, like you know, and you got to be realistic as well, like with you know partners and you know children and how much time that you're spending in the studio and, like, you know, whether you're doing... Sometimes I'll, like, split in mornings and just do mornings and then I'll just do afternoons. And then other times I'll just work from 9 to 5. So it depends on, like, you know, kids' program and, you know. So I'm, I'm flexible. But I like to... I like to have something sorted for the week, you know, and sort of work around, you know you know, our kids sort of like schedule as well. So yeah. that's important, yeah. Um, I, I tend to work better after midday painting when it comes to painting, but when it comes to like emails and working on, you know, applications and text and things like that, like probably, uh, you know, like emails and stuff is like morning, yeah. But then painting is in the afternoon and then writing text is better in the evening, I find, hey, writing. That's or even early morning. Sometimes I get up early to write, yeah. And what do you, do you, um, you know, I find that, you know what I find is a killer to, you know, to your creativity is sort of letting the news come in. Do you listen to the news much? Oh, yeah, totally. 
Yeah, I do. Yeah, no, I'm I'm the opposite. Hey, I actually, <laughs> I actually like, I actually like the news. Yeah, I think that the news is good in, in terms of because it all relates. Hey, because art is made in a context. It's, it's not made in a vacuum. Hey, art doesn't. It, it isn't made in a vacuum. It's not like um palace studio where you're making art and then it goes out into the world and sold. Right? Mm. It's actually made in relation to things. Totally. Um, Oh, for me, I mean, everybody's different, right? But I, I, I draw from those. I draw from those things because I like, you know, phrases. I like jingles. I like catchphrases. I like slogans. All of those things, hey, because they're so like, you know, they're so stupid. You know, like you just got to like write them down and go, God, how stupid is that? What was that? What were they thinking, right? Yeah. Well, I was. Th- I'm sort of thinking of it from the point of view that there's so much you get bombarded by it all and all these different things, it can turn off your creativity in a way. Uh, it depends on the different person, yeah. But but it depends on how you consume media as well. Yeah. Like if you're just having it on your phone, then, yeah, that's a bit of a rabbit hole, right? But if you're reading newspapers, no, because newspaper, newspapers are much more literate in the fact that you cut them, like because I cut them and I paste them, right? And then I write around papers like that. So... That's a much more slow form of digestion. Like if you're just like if if you're just checking things on the studio on the phone in the studio, it just sort of leads to procrastination. You know what I mean? Yep. Do you have any policy about that? Like, do you not look at your phone in the? Oh yeah, I wish I did. I wish I did have a policy about that. (laughs) Well, I don't really. No, I don't think anybody does. So do you do you use social media a lot? Is that important to your practice? Yeah, I try to. Uh, yeah, I try to. Yeah, I, I mean, I do, but you know, like this is the thing with social media is say, oh, am I doing it enough or too much or like, <laughs> you know, like generally, oh god, should I should have been on TikTok? Should have been like, <laughs> oh my god, I sh- oh my god, I should be making reels. Where's Instagram TV gone? Oh no, am I sixty seconds or sixty minutes? Oh yeah, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Oh look, that Instagram. I don't know what's happened to it. It's sort of gone off the rails. Uh, everybody's complaining. It has a oh, bit, hasn't it? I don't know what's yes, on my feed anymore. I just think, what is this on my I feed? Know. I'm not seeing anything that I like anymore. I it's, know it's terrible. It's really a disappointment. You have to save posts to people so that they show up but exactly. yeah just like and if you like any cooking things then you get all these random cooking things oh it's do terrible. you oh yeah that'd be your problem wouldn't yeah it? totally <laughs> yeah yeah well i think no i think you're right social media can be a bit of a rabbit hole and you can sort of you know it can be a problem it can be yeah, yeah. what do you think of deadlines do you need a deadline uh yeah i do otherwise i just like check media out on my phone no i do need deadlines because that pressure you know like and i only relate it to like the kitchen you know like in the fact that you know i worked with this chef once a couple of chefs and they said to me and they were great chefs and they said to me you know you make your greatest food under pressure and for me, my practice is very similar. Like in that, somebody told me don't make analogies with food, but you know what? I don't care. Oh no, I like, like analogies. Pressure. Yeah. Totally. But you know, like if you have pressure, then it makes you do things, it makes you get on the program in a way, like get your act together, like in a way that like you don't do normally. Hey, 
And honestly, it's like great. I need that. <laughs> I need it. Hey, otherwise I'm like, yeah, you know, watching videos on YouTube. Uh, I like, you know, like Japanese woodworking techniques or like <laughs> right. So I need a. I need to get on the program. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. That I think. I think deadlines are really useful. Um, and how do you do? You um, find it hard to get into the flow. Like once you get in the studio, what do you need to happen for that to happen? Uh, well, there's a couple of things that I uh, have identified. I find that music. If I'm painting, right, then music helps straight away, a- and writing. The writing gives me that energy as well. That's interesting. So I'll go look through these diaries that I've been um, documenting things for a while, since 2010. So there's a a few there. So I'll go back through those diaries and I'll start looking at things that I had documented, little drawings in there or, or like newspaper clippings and phrases and things like that. And then, yeah, it gives me a bit of energy to commence work and then i'll put on music and yeah music because it takes you out of your intellectual mind hey yeah it takes you out of that place and it gives you some sort of flow you know ultimately you know there's that cliche that you know like when you lose track of time the same in the kitchen when you lose track of time that means that you're in this place that's linked to creativity right you're not like checking your watch all the time that's a great thing everything is coming coming together you're not thinking about oh yeah this that and this it just is there yeah i agree well thank you so much for your time today anthony it was such a pleasure talking with you from the other side of the world and uh congratulations again on your museum show thank you maria thanks so much What an interesting artist and fabulous observations on the creative process. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Anthony White. You can go to the website, talkingwithheinous.com, for examples of his work and for links to videos and websites which relate to this episode. And if you're new to the podcast, you might not know that I also have a YouTube channel where there are about 180 videos at the moment of guests in their studios and at the galleries. Just search Talking With Painters on YouTube and it should take you there. If you'd like to keep updated with the podcast and YouTube channel, I've also put a link to the Talking With Painters monthly newsletter in the show notes. And if you'd like to follow the show on social media, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook and you can also connect with me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening and I hope you can join me for the next episode of Talking With Painters. I remember like, you know, going to, going on excursions with school and stuff and like wagging (laughs) and sneaking off to the art gallery in New South Wales. (laughs) Really? Yeah, yeah, I was the guy that was missing. (laughs) 